Welcome to episode 238 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. My guests this week are Laura Mullen and Chris Tully, the producers of the Play Me podcast from CBC. Play Me is currently presenting a new series, The Show Must Go On, featuring exciting productions from some of Canada's top creators, including Hannah Moscovich, Drew Hayden-Taylor, David Yee, Chloe Hung, and Anna Chatterton. Each month, enjoy a new show from the comfort of your own home. The theaters have closed, but the show will go on. You can subscribe to Play Me wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of, if you've been listening to Stageworthy for a while, or maybe you're a first-time listener and you're listening through a link on the website or that you got from social media, did you know that you can subscribe so that you never miss an episode? And you can do that by searching for Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and clicking on the handy subscribe button. And then every week, the new episode of Stageworthy will be delivered right to you. And if you subscribe, let me know that you are a new subscriber. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. And you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and the website where you can find the archive of all 238 episodes of Stageworthy is at stageworthypodcast.com. As I mentioned, my guests this week are Laura Mullen and Chris Tully. We talked about the Play Me podcast, putting it together, how quickly the process of putting together the show must go on took, and as well as a new project, The Quarantine Chronicles. Here's our conversation. So how are how are you guys uh, managing in this? I don't even know what to call this anymore. I have a friend who refers to this as the quarantine times. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. How are you guys? How are you guys holding up? I think we're doing well. I mean, all things. I, I think any day in quarantine, it's like um, there's a lot of highs and lows in the one day, <laughs> but um, we're fortunate to be very busy with work and it's a great distraction and um it's it's opening up new opportunities for us which we're very grateful for um but it'll be nice when it's done and life is normal it sure will we both have kids at home and it's a little it's a little wacky that's gotta that's gotta be a little bit hectic when you're trying to do i don't know anything even like this Absolutely. Well, uh, my wife works as as Laura's husband works as well. So it's this juggling act of who's got the kids? Are the kids ripping each other apart? Mm-hmm. Are we? When can we start to drink? It's, like, <laughs> it's, this, it's like this this whole thing, and it, it is um, you know because you want to be able to spend time with your mm-hmm. kids. You want to be able to make sure that they're um, they're still getting the kind of attention that they want. But at the same time, you've got to spend you're you're meeting on a zoom and you gotta you gotta do that yeah. so it is it is a struggle so into as far as uh, the play me podcast goes um you guys have been sort of slightly a pivot to the show must go on as sort of a sort of an overarching title for what we're going through right now at what point did 
like how quickly did you guys pivot to the show must go on from your regular um, outlook on on play me? It was a, well, a it ha- fast pivot. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You say it, talk, Chris. Oh, I was going to say it actually happened fairly quickly. Um, CBC came to us and they said, because this was right when all the theaters closed down, and they said, what can we do to help the arts community? Because it was clear, it was right at the beginning of, you know, the devastation of everybody losing their gigs. Um, and we proposed this idea and they said, great, how fast can we get these out? So um, we were lucky in that uh, we were just working on uh, Carried Away on a Crest of a Wave. And that was part of our regular season, but it also just shut down in, um, I think it was at the art studio, arts club in Vancouver. And uh, so it worked out that we could just sort of shift that to as a great launch for um, the show must go on. So we were able to really uh, turn turn it around quite quickly. And sadly, um, so many shows were canceled, which is just devastating. What that does mean is it means that we had some incredible shows to pick from. I think we had a fast pivot in our own thinking because we had scheduled to record um, Jiv Parashram for Take the Milk Nat uh, just at the time when it was all closing. And it was like a back and forth of should we still record? Is it safe to record? And we determined no, we didn't we didn't feel comfortable being in a small studio. And he had to go back to Vancouver, which is where he lives. And so in our minds, it was like, well, next time you're in Toronto, we'll we'll record it. And it was a, a quick pivot to like to think about actually, no, we don't actually have to be in a studio together. There There is a way to capture the shows uh, and have this you know, close to the same quality and not be bound by geography anymore. So I, I think a lot of it was um, a, a quick rethinking of, of how we work. And, and it's really presented a lot of opportunities for us for the future. Yeah, I'm curious about because, you know, you guys are used to working in a, in a, in a studio with uh, you know, professional quality and the soundproofing and all really good mics and things like that. How do you ensure the same quality when the people who are doing the recording are working from home? It, it's a huge challenge. We, um, what we've done is we've built, uh, we now have 12 sort of mobile recording kits. So it's a microphone, pop screen, um, and they're, they're incredibly high quality. And we've put together a whole series of videos of how to, because, you know, in many cases, there, a lot of the people who are using it have no experience with audio recording. Um, and we're just shipping them all over uh, Canada. It's sort of like this web across Canada with these kits. Um, and surprisingly, everybody has been game. And I didn't expect this, but pretty well every file that's come back has been, if not of studio quality or, or really close. We have people recording in their, their walk-in closets. We have people uh, recording down in the basements with like mattresses and stuff like that. And it comes back incredibly good. And we're able to, we have this great guy who's a wizard with filters. And we just ship those files off to him and they come back to us and they are uh, studio quality. Wow. And it's worked out. Yeah, it's worked out really well. 
And we have performers who are negotiating cats and kids <laughs> and other family members. And it's really interesting because we were recording Secret Life of a Mother and I was working from my dining room table. And, um, you know, the great performer Mev Beatty is performing through my computer in, in the dining room. And my, my daughter's walking back and forth and my husband's walking back and forth and I can mute. So we're all sort of um, having to very quickly navigate uh, this this unusual situation, but everybody seems really game for it. And, um, you know, if, if a dog barks or some, an Amazon package uh, <laughs> arrives in the middle of a recording, we just pause for a moment. Um, and I, I think uh, Chris and I are, are really excited to know that when this does end, um, that, you know, really we can record a play uh, without ever having to leave our homes and the performers don't have to be in Toronto in order for us to to capture a show, which is the thinking that we had just a mere few weeks ago. <laughs> so does that mean that, that your the way that you look at the recording process is is changing? Mm, that's a great question. I think it and this just goes to what Laura was saying, where it suddenly opens up this whole new world because before it was just so controlled. We were in the studio, everything was, you know, just the right distance from the mic. And then we've learned that, you know, you can get pretty close to that quality uh, in a much more remote air, uh, uh, space and or remote uh, working world. And also at the same time, people who don't have audio experience if they're given enough information and if they're willing um they're able to to create something that is of incredibly high quality i'll speak for myself and say that um there there obviously is nothing the same as being in the room with people and actors being able to feed off each other in person but it this works a lot better than i thought and selfishly I don't mind being in my sweatpants <laughs> at home, you know, and, you know, because a lot of the times when we record, it was about getting people in and out of the building through security who, you know, it's a big process to go. If somebody needs a coffee to sign people in and out and meeting and scheduling and all that stuff. And, and it is uh, there is a, a relaxed nature, I think, to being able to perform and record at home and we did a, a play that hasn't even um been on the stage mm. yet a world premiere of cowgirl up yesterday a brand new script and um yeah i mean it's it's uh i think everyone is really adapting to how we can uh relate and work digitally and, and we've all upped our game um, you know a million times uh, in this this short period of time I have to say, I, I do miss the CBC building a little bit because there is something magical about it. Mm -hmm. You know, our studio is mm -hmm. right across from Q. You've got like this picture of Zosky, you know, that you walk by to get there. So there is a little bit of magic there. And there is um, because there has been such an incredible history of, of not just radio and news, but also audio drama there. there there's something a little special about being in, in that uh, in that building. Uh, maybe we're relating really well right now because we're in isolation. Like maybe if we were meeting people normally, this would be an irritating way of working. But I think mm. <laughs> that right now, because we are like, I'm much more receptive to a Zoom call than I now than I would normally be. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a little bit of the magic of this time also where we're 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 OK to um, 
to connect digitally. Um, whereas when we don't have this um, constraint, you know, maybe we won't be so keen on it. I'm sure we'll all want to break from Zoom. Uh, yeah, exactly. For a while. <laughs> Screens in general. But on the other side, um, if somebody isn't available to go to the studio with you, you're now more open yes. to mm-hmm. doing yeah. this because you've done it before. You were forced into the position of, of doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Does this then open up more opportunities for uh, plays where people may not, you may not be able to get them into the, the studio in Toronto or, or similar? Like, are you now looking at, able to look at plays that you maybe couldn't look at before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was always a struggle for us because we live in Toronto and we don't want to be um, too Toronto centric in the in the in the shows that we choose. But we we just don't have the ability to travel to where um, shows are located or where the casts are located. But yeah, I don't think we would consider that an, an issue anymore and we're, we're doing another project that's coming up and we were uh, talking to the writers because it's new pieces and and saying you know uh let us know the actors you're interested in working with and does it really matter where they live mm. <laughs> anymore so and you know that the the big vision of play me was always to break down the geographical silos because people in toronto don't know about the amazing work that's happening out east and people out east don't necessarily know what's happening out west mm-hmm. and we really want to break down those divisions and now we cannot just do that through the audience but we can also do that through the artists as well what does a a, a recording session look like now it's one thing when you have the actors in a studio and you're working with them are you online with them as they do their reading are they doing it in groups or in like as we are right now through a zoom call or uh how 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 do these these recording sessions work well what we do is we we, we're doing what's called a double ender where each actor is recording a high quality audio at their location and when we're done they ship it over to us they they upload it to um, our main server file but what we do is we connect to everyone through zoom so it looks just like a zoom meeting with the grids with a Brady Bunch grid and people are acting off of each other with the video um, but at the same time we're capturing the high quality uh, the high quality audio so we sort of get the best of both worlds where we're able to connect with each other in a very intimate way while at the same time um, being able to get the studio quality work. One of the reasons why I wanted to I wanted to bring up the specifics of how you guys are working is because there's being there's so much pressure right now for people to become digital video experts as we still try to create and put our art out there. Um, But since we can't be in a theater, we're trying to figure out zoom and other technologies just to, just to be able to, 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 to get the, the art out there. But we're all trying to make it something that's not just a zoom meeting. And so every little bit of information that we can share about here's how the audio works. And I had a great conversation with, uh, Rebecca Perry and, uh, and, and David Kingsmill about them putting together, uh, her show from Judy to Betty, uh, for, for video streaming and how that the specifics of how that worked. Um, can you tell me about specific, like what have you learned about the technology since you started uh, uh, doing uh, the show must go on in a remote fashion. 
we're, we're sort of in this strange time when, uh, because all the clo- uh, theaters are shut down and we know um, we're all creators, we're all, uh, we, we want to create work and suddenly we're not able to. So there's sort of like this frenzy to be able to go online and be able to share our work. Um, but I find that not always has sort of people ask the the why why are we doing it and i think when people really examine the why it may not be just defaulting to a zoom reading or defaulting to um putting your play on as an audio uh drama because one thing that we've learned is what goes from the stage to um to digital isn't just a straight transformation it has to it has it isn't just a straight straight transfer it has to go through a transformation it's such a different beast that you have to uh, uh, make sure that the acting the recording all elements of it and even just some scripts don't work that well on digitally mm-hmm. um, so I think what we're seeing is a lot of people rushing to get to the digital world because they want to share their work because that's what you're 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 an art art monster as as mm. Maeve be uh Maeve says you know you want to get it out there but it's um it's it takes a lot of time to sort of figure out what is your ultimate goal and then that's what crafts it that's what i really like about uh, outside the march they mm. do such innovative work and it's not just sort of defaulting to um something like a zoom reading They're, they they mm. really innovate I think also we're we're fortunate in that we have been doing this for at least four years now. So it hasn't yeah. been a huge leap for us. Um, and because we're, we're not working with screens, um, and I think that is a challenge, and we actually do have a project that we're doing in the fall that will involve visual, so we'll have a little bit of time to, to sort that out. But because we're dealing in straight audio, um, uh, you know, we're creating a, a set and lights and characters and, and costumes and people's imaginations. And it's the sound and the story and the foley and the design that's that's taking people th- there. Um, and so it's not, it hasn't really been something we've had to learn as a result of the pandemic. We've more just been learning about the tech um that can make it possible and how if if people will feel comfortable to record on their own and i think everyone has 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 really upped their game and what they're they feel comfortable doing but i think we've mm. just been really fortunate that we were already um uh creating it for this medium and I, I think it does take some time to realize uh you know how do you transcend um from from a script or from the stage to to this new medium to, to another medium a digital medium and for us not having the visual has is, is been very helpful laura's been joking that we've been waiting for a global pandemic for three years and it's been preparing <laughs> we, yeah it's one of those i think the difficulty because i see so many so many uh, uh projects people doing like readings online and it ends up being essentially a zoom meeting um and i don't know about you guys i spend hours of every day <laughs> in zoom meetings and so yes. it's difficult to be able to go and transition and say ah oh, now this zoom meeting is is art this zoom meeting yeah. is theater i think that we're still experimenting with with how we can take this technology that wasn't intended 
for this mm-hmm. and make it into something. Yeah. I think every Zoom meeting is art. <laughs> That's the yeah. Yeah. I think um, Saturday Night Live is one of the best examples I've seen of, of transitioning from, you know, it's not from going live. Well, I mean, live in a sense, but it was a, a, a video or TV to um, to people working in isolation, at least. And obviously, they have unlimited resources and uh, people. But, um, you know, it was suddenly, I said the first week, and it was a little bit like, you know, weird and that, you know, people were performing in their obvious in their bedrooms and stuff. But, you know, two weeks later, they all they had green screens and costumes, and they wrote uh, with the constraint of being in a single space or the weirdness that they were in their home and, uh, and, and wrote more to this situation. So I think it's just going to take some people time. I, I can't remember what the piece was, but I think it was Kevin Wong. Um, and Chris, you sent it to me. Um, yeah. He did a, a, a musical number, and I'm not sure what the platform was that he used it, but it was one of the few things that I've seen where it was actually visually captivating. And that's, I think, I think that's the hard part for everybody right now is because Zoom is, it's a little bit like the Brady Bunch. And um, yeah, like we all, we're all a little bit Zoom worn out. So it's, um, you know, again, because we're, we're doing something in the fall that we would normally do at Nuit Blanche. It's like, how do you, um, how do you capture the visual uh, in a way that um, is more uh, evocative of the piece? Yeah, that is, that is, I think, going to be the ongoing question as we, because it's still going to be, as much as I hate to say it, it's still going to be a little while before we're able to get back into theaters. It's going to be, I don't think it's going to be the fall. It's not going to be the winter. I think the estimation that it's going to be January is also possibly not, at, not it's a little too hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We're going to, it's going to take us a bit of time. So we need to experiment and find ways to use these things that were not intended to be um theatrical mediums mm-hmm. and force them into a theatrical box unless somebody comes along and says here's a thing i've been working on let's let's and and now i get to reveal it to all the theaters of the world but i don't think we're there yet <laughs> i think it's the people who are really good at excel are going to be the people who go okay how can we it's almost like a writing prompt how can we take these constraints and actually make that the um the thing that 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 makes this special as opposed to a limitation and i think it's also going to be for the people who are able to go okay this is not theater this is a very different thing and how do we then tailor the work so that it 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 works within um the 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 great advantages of working digitally but also the limitations it works around the limitations as well i always think it's interesting because the sometimes the limitations are what force you to be more creative and to do something mm-hmm. more interesting that you could do if you had all the money in the world. I've seen fascinating things happen on a shoestring budget that yeah. couldn't happen with with a budget of millions because you would just throw money at a problem instead of having to be really creative. Yeah. It's some pieces I think do transition well. I've been seeing um blind date. Um, 
Mm, you yeah. guys are familiar with that. And I've never seen it live. I've always wanted to, but it's just never worked out that I've gone to see it. And I, I think the premise, if people aren't familiar, is that uh, um, is that Rebecca Norton? Am I saying her? I hope I'm. Yeah. Uh, invites an audience member to join her on a blind date and it's uh, she's in a clown nose and um, the audience gets to watch this sort of real interaction between two, two people who don't know each other get to know each other and she's been doing it um, online with some prominent um, personalities and I saw uh, some of what she did with Tony Napo and I thought that's like a brilliant adaptation of um of that show and using this medium. I mean, not every, not every show is going to necessarily translate as well. And so, yeah, I think people will figure out what does work or create. I mean, there's a lot of people creating work inspired by this time. And so maybe, maybe there's some shows that should, should just be live and on stage. And maybe there's other things that can be created in this moment. And it sounds like if it's true that we're not going to be able to be in theaters for a significant period of time, then there's lots of time to to create new work in, in response to it. Yeah, I definitely think that early on we saw a lot of uh, 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 desperation. I need to get something out there. I need to do this thing. Yes. Um, and, and now as that sort of is calming down, now people are starting to think about the media that they're working with and creating for it uh, this is going to inform theater for a little while and then and then perhaps mm-hmm. as you say maybe later on we'll see that separation of these are the pieces that were intended to be uh performed during the quarantines and um these are the pieces that will be on stage once we're able to get back there again speaking of creating new pieces you guys are creating uh, uh something or working on something called uh the quarantine chronicles Mm-hmm. Tell me about tell me about the quarantine chronicles. Well, um, we have invited seven actors, uh, sorry, seven playwrights across the country to write plays um, that are inspired by these strange times. And um, it was it was originally when we put the idea together, it was it was all about the lockdown and the craziness of everybody trying to exist without really leaving their homes but it's sort of morphed from that into sort of like this new normal like I think life will seem you know before the pandemic and after the pandemic and it's it's a it's a series of pieces that are inspired between by the sort of in-between time where we're for sorting out what this new normal is going to be and it's it's somewhat like the twilight zone meets the quarantine um and uh and it's it's such a time when everything is just so weird like murder hornets donald trump uh (laughs) people are having strange dreams like it's walking around seeing people with masks on yeah it's a very surreal time and it's sort of a time capsule i think of of uh the the subconscious of what's going on in people's minds right now one of the things that i find interesting is the fact that um previously in the past when when the um the 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 1918 flu is almost a forgotten pandemic because you know now we're sort of like remembering it and looking up things about it but it's not something that that was passed into memory i think now we are creating a permanent record of that in a way like the art that we're creating will be informed by this for several years to come 
and there will be a record of this is what a pandemic does to a society and and also to the artists and this is how artists can can deal with that which is something we never had before because we don't have a memory of of that particular pandemic we didn't have the ability to record it exactly exactly I think what's also exciting about this time is is you see everybody saying, okay, we've got to save the arts. We've mm. got to save the theaters. We have to. And there's been a lot of support. And it's it's great. There's been a lot of support for, you know, all across the board. But it seems like people have really embraced the value of the arts. Um, it doesn't make it any easier because all our friends have lost their gigs and all our friends have lost their livelihood. So it doesn't necessarily make it that much easier but i think it's made us all realize how essential the arts are Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely um can you tell me a little bit about like what kind of information did you give to the the playwrights that you wanted to work with for uh, the quarantine chronicles what did you tell them that you wanted them did you give them guidelines how did you select them tell me a little bit about about that um, well, in terms of the guidelines we gave them, it, it was sort of a two-tiered approach. One was to use this time to expand their imagination, um, to to comment on it in some way, and because it's because in, in in what we normally do is we take a stage play and adapt it for audio. In this case, um, we there is no stage play. Hap- or at least not at this point. And so the, so they have an unlimited budget for set and costumes. It can take place in the future or in the past in another dimension. Um, so the, the biggest thing that we wanted them to do was to, to be bold and imaginative in what they were going to create and really write for the medium of audio, which is not something that we... Uh, often get an opportunity to do and I think it's for us exciting because audio fiction is so huge Um, and uh, genres in audio fiction are um, popular like thriller and horror and science fiction Uh, and so we're asking people to really lean into those genres and so it's it's for us also an opportunity I think for us to um, leap from the theater world in, more into that audio fiction world and write more specifically for it. No, I think I, I think it's interesting because the, the ability to the 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 chance to explore uh, different genres, we don't often see genre explored in live theater. There's, uh, I mean, there's people are I think people are afraid of it because of the fact that people can see science fiction on, in movies. Um, but we also have the opportunity to do something really interesting. It's it. I think it must be fun for the playwrights to be able to explore these genres, but also for you guys to to put together uh, an audio drama in a genre that you you don't usually do. What well, adding foley and things like that must be like the prospect of that must be pretty exciting too. Absolutely, you know, being able to play with all these different elements. But one thing that we've also just started to really come into with play me the um our regular season play me is the idea of um being able to go into these different worlds so each show like for instance this year we opened with um butcher which is you know this great thriller detective almost horror um and 
that works really well on audio and on podcasts. Mm. And if you look at some of the the number one, you, you know, even for CBC, uh, their big podcasts are nonfiction, mm. but they have all those elements in it. And then we go into um, uh, Boy Boy on the Moon, which was very docudrama and, and a much more subtle, but emotionally you know, it really pulls on your heartstrings. And then you go to carry it away where you suddenly transport the audience to, uh, uh, to um, South Asia and, um, you know, all these different worlds. So it, it's the ability to be able to take your audience every month to a different location and a completely different world is such a magical thing and such a lucky thing to be able to do. To your point about theater artists not writing for genre, I think that's true. And I think it maybe has a commercial connotation if you say i'm writing a thriller or i'm writing a horror or i'm writing a comedy oh my god you know <laughs> it's always got to be um <clears throat> about something bigger than that which is what makes theater so wonderful but it is fun to to really go for it for a genre and the, the the great thing about a podcast audience is it's a young audience and so they want to they want to be transported in the upcoming uh, in the series uh, the show must go on uh, who who can we look forward to to hearing from that we haven't heard from so far well we have um another world premiere i mentioned anna chatterton's play cowgirl up um which is coming out we just recorded it yesterday and it's coming out in june we also have a, a thriller the three women of swato which is by chloe hung uh, that was supposed to go up at the Tarragon, and uh, it was, um, they were in rehearsal, but it didn't get to hit the stage, and it was a world premiere, so it's a, it's going to be a great show. Three women are in that show, all female mm. um, production, um, uh, and we have uh, Sir John A. McDonald, which is going to be up at uh, Native Earth. That's happening. We're going to release that on Canada Day. And it's uh, Drew Hayden Taylor. We've never done one of his shows. And mm. it's funny and uh, thought-provoking and uh, uh, an interesting take on, on John A. And, um, oh, The Runner is uh, coming out. That was uh, that was in production. That was on stage. And then it got uh, cut short. Christopher Morris's show, directed by Daniel Brooks. We had the pleasure of Zooming with them a couple of weeks ago. What am I forgetting, Chris? Uh, did you get carried away? Oh, with, yes, we've already released. Did yeah, carried away. Yeah. We've we released that, and so many of these shows, you know, I think carried away is a perfect example. They worked and worked and worked and got to the point where they were just about to open. Mm. Um, and in fact, what they did was they knew that where it was going they knew that it was probably going to get shut down at some point so they brought everyone together for the dress rehearsal so that at least they would have some audience everybody from the theater and just before the dress rehearsal the announcement came out all theaters had to close so they Uh, didn't even get that opportunity oh my goodness yeah and it's just how heartbreaking is that yeah so um you know all of our shows either just barely made it to uh to the stage or made it to the stage for just a performance or two or in some cases like cowgirl up anna chatterton had worked for years building the show and they were just about to go into rehearsal and uh, you know all that work was suddenly 
looked like it was going to go on on pause for a while. Yeah. So. And I think what's upsetting is is that you know initially it was like well it's postponed it'll be back in the mm. fall but now like you know it's so where where do the seasons Who go knows? where do all those shows yeah. go when you yeah. lose you know however long it is we're going to lose so obviously it's not it doesn't replace the show being on the stage but we're happy to be able to present it to audiences and we know from from hearing from audience members that people do go and buy tickets to shows because they heard shows on play me and that artistic mm. directors um, program shows because they've heard the plays so we hope that um while this is happening that more people will be familiar with playwrights and uh and when when the theaters do come back that um that that playwrights will have more fans and more of an audience base you know pe- we, people have some time on their hands and I, I think people are screen um drained you know and yes, so yeah. we're hoping that that people are listening to these shows while they have this bit of downtime mm-hmm now I'm curious about uh, how your work process, like just personally, how how that has changed and how you're dealing with with working from home and not being able to work. Because when I saw it, when I the last time you guys were on the show, I came to your to your office down in the, the in Toronto's distillery district. So now you guys can't go there; you have to socially distance. So what it, what does your workday look like? Uh, I've been starting lately around four o'clock, which is because I used to sleep until noon. So it's kind of boggling my mind. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like, you know, once again, we're, we're so lucky because so many people have lost their gigs and because, uh, podcasting is one of the very few mediums that can still produce under these kind of circumstances. Um, we've been lucky to be able to get the these additional series. So we've gone from pretty well, we were putting out shows, even though we batch them, so they don't go out weekly. When you spread it out, it, it works out to be about weekly. And we've come to almost daily now. So just our, our output has, has um, uh, jumped significantly. So for me, uh, it's waking up at four, trying to get at least four hours of work in before the kids wake up. Because once the kids wake up, mm. it's just like a crapshoot. You don't mm-hmm, know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, and uh, then juggling and negotiating. Okay, my wife needs an hour to do her work. I'll take the kids. Then, you know, I have to jump on a Zoom for this. So it's. I think it's a very common story that we have mm-hmm. right now, particularly with working couples with kids. Mm-hmm. I wake up at 3 a.m. No, because <laughs> I have a teenager. I wake up late and I go to bed early. <laughs> I need to sleep more during the pandemic. Uh, no, I mean, for actually, in some ways, like we we have that office, and the more the busier we've got with Play Me, the less we've been in the office because the editing suite that Chris works with is uh, in his home. Um, and I would come to his home a lot. Now I'm recording in my messy closet and I've got a 13 year old who is, um, you know, sewing things on the dining room table, uh, a foot beside me. So, you know, it's a little bit, uh, yeah, I think parenting, no matter what, like it's just whether your children are young and you're playing with them or they're older and you're trying to make sure that they're not on their phone all day or getting too bummed out about the situation. Um, I think everyone's balancing things but I also feel like there used to be this thing where 
if you were my husband works from home and always has if you're working from home you're always sort of trying to pretend that you're not working from home so you would Mm. like make sure that nobody was making any noise in the background or the dogs barking or you know whatever and now it's like it's totally cool everybody i don't feel like i can't like yell at my kid if my husband's on a conference call because we're we're all in the same boat so there is sort of a a an intimacy, I think, that we have with everybody because we're all sort of peering into each other's um, houses and, and and intimate worlds. I had a Zoom meeting at six o'clock yesterday, and I thought it's six o'clock. I've had a really rough day. I, I'd like to just have a drink and unwind. And I thought, well, I'll keep it off to the side. Nobody will see. Out of the nine people, six of them were drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is the, the, I think that is the one, one of the things that, that has suddenly opened up is, is people are now free to, they're being a little bit more open about, you know, I'm at the end of the day. Yes, this is a business call, but it's six o'clock. I'm taking a drink, exactly. <laughs> you know? One of the things that I've been I've been asking folks as we've been recording these podcasts in the in the days of of social distancing and everybody being isolated is is I'm always curious about how people are are bringing joy into their lives and and how they're finding those small joys that are getting them through the day. So what are the things that are giving you joy um, these days to help you get through from day to day? Um, well, I'll speak for myself and 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 say that on. Um, the middle of March when this first happened. Um, The day before, I went for a walk at the beach and I was like, okay, I know this is going to happen, but as long as I can like get out and go for a walk, I'm okay. And then I dropped a heavy drawer on my foot and probably broke a couple toes. And I haven't actually been able to walk very well ever since. So I've been like super confined. So I've just been like doing some exercise every morning so that I you know because otherwise I'm like just night and day sitting in a chair on the couch so I I feel like some exercise every day is silly and and uh as that that and um chocolate chips straight out of the bag (laughs) (laughs) you can't go wrong with that well that that's a great question what brings me joy I think um my daughter had a birthday two days ago, two days ago, and she turned seven. And the weeks leading up to it was just um, a heavy burden of disappointment throughout her life because it was her birthday. It was her seventh birthday and she couldn't have her party. She couldn't have, you know, all her friends over. And it was just this incredible disappointment. And it actually turned out to be a great day for her and she was so happy and halfway through she went to turn to my wife and and myself and said this is the best birthday ever and it was because she didn't have the 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 princess who showed up she didn't have uh her friends and so it was up to us so we really had to create that moment and that memory for her so we had to step it up and we were able to do it and we had nothing else to rely on other than just the family unit and it turned out that it was exactly what she needed and I think kind of what she wanted as well. So that was a really beautiful moment, I think, for me. That's awesome. And just before we close, when can we expect the Quarantine Chronicles uh, to be available? It's scheduled to come out in the mid-June. We haven't set a launch date yet. Um, everything is happening 
for us and I think for CBC Podcasts really quickly. Um, so they've been wonderful in not having us locked down that date because we want to make sure that our playwrights have enough time to write and not be under too much pressure. But I, I think that's when you can expect the first one to come out. And I believe they'll be coming out weekly. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Laura, Chris, thank you so much uh, for doing this. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much, Phil. Thanks. This has been a Homebody Productions production.